I love that song, Firm Foundation. And uh, just it continues to encourage us and to help us throughout life. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series on Romans chapter 8. That's right, Romans chapter 8. And it has been life-giving. It is a really great chapter. Uh, it's a clear and concise chapter on the Christian life. And it's just really blessed my life. Uh, over the last few weeks, hopefully it's blessed yours, studying it, diving into it. And today we're in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30, 18 through 30. And if you remember, just to give you a quick recap to catch everybody up and get us all on the same page. Uh, we started out in Romans chapter 8 talking about these two different natures that are inside of us. And that we have been free in Christ and there's no condemnation in Christ. And then he tells us that there's this sinful nature in us that's pushing us towards what is wrong. And then the Holy Spirit, which is that is in us as Christians, that give us power to overcome the sin in our life. And so we talked about that the first week. And then last week we talked about the uh, being adopted into the family of God, that we are children of God, that we have access to God because of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And today uh, it's picking up, if you remember in verse 17 last week, when it says, if we will share in God's glory, we will also share in his suffering. And so it's like he, he teased us for a moment with that saying, and then he explains it and gives us a roadmap as we walk through trials and hurt and suffering in the rest of these few verses. And I'm so glad that he does because the Christian life, you guys know, um, is not just uh, all easy, right? And it doesn't happen uh, the, maybe the way that we think. And we do experience uh, hard times and we do experience heartache. And so how do we navigate that? as a Christian, and what do we have in Christ? And so we're going to dive into that today, uh, but I want to pray for us, ask God to speak to our hearts, and then we'll jump right in. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for each and every soul that is here today. God, I pray that we can just take the next few moments, and whatever is rolling around in our hearts and our minds that maybe is taking up space or creating fear or worry or whatever that may be, and we'll place it at your feet, Jesus. I pray that uh, your peace will just overcome us. And as we hear your words and hear your truth, that it will speak to us, God. I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. I know a lot of people here in the house moved from the north. And when you move from the north down to the south, you probably experience this phenomenon called uh, SEC football. Right. Like like you, you go to the north and you're like, OK, hockey is the thing and everybody's all good. Unless you're from Ohio. I mean, then you got the Buckeyes and and the Buckeyes have a really great following. But you move to the south and it's like, what is the deal with football? Right. Like, why do they act this way around football and all of these different aspects? But you realize that it's, it's a little crazy down here from time to time. And if you've noticed, there's a couple of teams uh, that are very well known. One is Clemson here in South Carolina. Right. There's another one, LSU. I think we got LSU fan in the house, right? Um, LSU, Clemson. But a lot of these schools, they have this workout routine or they have this test, so to speak, that they put their players through. And it's a very intense test. And a lot of times they do it at the beginning of the season. And some of them, I know uh, Clemson in particular, if you do not pass this test, you're, you're off the team. Like you've got to pass this physical test in order to be on the team. And so what it is, is you have to run these, the football length of the field is 110 yards, right? And so you have to run 110 yards 16 times, but 
you only have 45 seconds in between each run, and you have to run, depending on your position, under a particular uh, time frame. And I don't know if you've ever done this before. Um, I have done it before, and it feels like your whole body is about to this screaming at you. Your legs, your lungs, your brain is telling you, if you do not stop, you're going to die, right? Like it's just, it's just all over, and you just feel the intensity of it because you really don't get a break. And so it's just like one after the other, after the other, after the other, and it's incredibly difficult to finish and to accomplish. And so you may look at that, and then we may ask the question, because we're rational sane people why would a human being put themselves through that right like why would they willingly go you know what yes to carry this pigskin football across the goal line and to be a part of this team i want to put myself through this it's because those guys they don't have their present reality that's not their main focus right they're thinking if i can get through this then i get to be a part of this team i get to be a part of this atmosphere and probably some of them have been thinking about this since they were in peewee football right like eight nine years old they've been dreaming about the day that they get to run out of the tunnel and hear the crowd and play the game that they have devoted some of them their entire lives to right and if we think about that and i think about this section of romans chapter eight and you and i when we surrender our lives to christ sometimes our life doesn't get better In fact, sometimes it gets harder, right? Because it's like we get this target on our back or we walk through this. And not only do we have the regular moments of trial and hurt, but sometimes we take ridicule for being a Christian, right? Sometimes we get ostracized from our family or whatever it may be. It's like you get that on top of it. So it's like, why in the world would we keep moving forward in the midst of this? And not only that, we're going to see here the person who's writing Romans chapter 8, and as he gets to verses 18 through 30, uh, we see that he is no, like he understands what the trials are. He understands what the heartache is. He has walked through it. And so in order for us to get a picture of this, and I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul didn't skip over this part, right? Because it's true, and it's a reality for you and I that we're going to walk through some of these things. And so this is how he helps us navigate. He gives us promise. He gives us hope. He gives us um, a way that the way that we can think and understand our relationship with God. And so he does this uh, starting in verse 18, and he starts out in a Pretty incredible and profound way. Is everybody still doing good? Doing okay? He starts here in verse 18. I'm going to read all the way through verse 30, okay? So it starts here in 18. It says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. 
And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory as a long piece of scripture but you see a lot of different words that really uh, play into the theme here he talks about this eager hope and God's glory and the future that we hope for and that we have these weaknesses and trials and sufferings that come but he gives us this principle here in Romans eight eighteen. And there's two verses here that you maybe have seen stitched on pillows and uh, maybe painted on walls in different houses. Romans 8.18 is one and Romans 8.28. You see those two verses are pretty popular. But the first one, he kind of opens the can up right here. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And this is a very interesting thing. And if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to take notes. We have a few uh, slides that we're going to put up and you can take pictures of it as well if you want to lean into technology a little bit. And it says this, when suffering comes, allow it to remind us that this is not our home. When suffering comes, allow it to remind us that this is not our home. And the Apostle Paul kicks off these verses and he says, what we suffer now is nothing compared. And he's not saying that what we're suffering is nothing, right? He's not saying it's not difficult. It's not hard. You shouldn't grieve. All of those things. He's not saying, hey, just forget about it and uh, or kind of toughen up, right? You know, depending on what our childhood is and all of these different aspects. He's not saying that. He's saying, actually... When you take the trials that we're in and you compare it to the future glory, when you compare it to heaven, when you compare it to being with God, it is not even going to compare. He's saying it is going to outweigh it in an incredible amount, not even on the same scale. He is saying, yet we can think about our very worst day that we experience on this earth, that the, a person who's experienced a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, they can take all of that and they can place it on the scale and they could weigh it against the future glory that you and I will experience as Christians. And he's saying this, you can't even compare it. The scale outweighs on the, the glory of heaven and how God is going to work and, and intermingle into our lives. And he gives us this direction of going, hey, don't forget that as Christians, we're adopted into the sons and, and daughters and the family of God. Don't forget that this is no longer our home. In fact, there's a famous quote that says that if you and I look around in our life and it seems like we were made for a different world, it's because we were. It's because we were made for heaven. We were made for a relationship and access to God. And he is saying, don't forget about the future glory that God has called us to. And the Apostle Paul, he's no, um, he has experienced an insurmountable amount of pain and suffering and hardships. And, and the, the funny thing about the Apostle Paul, or not the funny thing, but the interesting thing about the Apostle Paul is, is that a lot of his suffering wasn't because of his decisions, right? It wasn't because he decided to do something and now he's pay, reaping whatever happened, right? 
it's because he was a Christian and because he kept planting churches in areas that didn't want churches. And he kept facing opposition. And because of that, he walked through some of his trials and he lists some of these trials here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I just want to uh, kind of walk through this list with you real quick because it's really mind blowing what the Apostle Paul went through. It says that he was whipped 39 lashes five different times. I mean, we could stop there and go, what? Like, that's crazy, right, to think about. Then it says he was beaten with rods three different times. He was pummeled with stones one time. He was shipwrecked three times, adrift at sea, a full day and a full night, just drifting about at sea. And then he says he took frequent journeys and he had danger from rivers and robbers and church people and Gentiles and wilderness and sea against false brothers who would try to falsify what he was doing. He had many sleepless nights. It says that he went hungry and thirsty very often. Uh, He was exposed to the cold. And then he went through this whole list and he ends this section of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says, not only that, but I had the added pressure and worry, anxiety of all of the churches that I have planted. He's like, I'm following back up with them. I'm writing letters to them. And if something is happening inside of their church, and if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, you're like, whoo, what are those guys doing, right? Like, what's happening? Because he's writing letters and following up and holding them accountable. And he's saying, not after all of that, I'm carrying the weight. And I have a theory when the Apostle Paul was asking for God to take the thorn out of his side. I think he had some form of PTSD. I mean, can you imagine everything that he walked through this that he was carrying this worry, this fear every step that he went into? But the Apostle Paul understood that yet what he was walking through right now, it doesn't compare to the future glory. Why would he keep going and planting churches? Why would he keep going and spreading the gospel and living as a Christian and all of these different things? Why would he put himself through all of this? It's because he understood that this is not our home. He wasn't living for today. He wasn't living for now, but he was leaning into all of the souls that he was trying to bring into eternity. He was living for all of the people who he knew were lost and separated from God and that Jesus was the answer and that Jesus is the hope. And he was going to do everything he could to help them experience that. And so you and I, because it can be really easy to forget about this reality to forget about this truth, that this is not our home. In fact, in um, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to read this piece of scripture to you. And this one has, has really shaped my life as a Christian. I remember reading it early on when I gave my life to Jesus. And it impacted me so much in 1 Peter chapter 2. And it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I love that verse because it tells us who we are in Christ, much like Romans chapter eight. And then he says, you must proclaim because God pulled you out of darkness 
and into his glorious light. And he's saying, remember what the hope that you and I have, that this is not our home. And I remember um, my grandfather, he uh, as he was getting more towards the end of his life. And uh, this one particular story, it'll illustrate and you'll see what I'm talking about. I remember going to his house. And when I got to his house, he wasn't sitting in his normal chair that he always sat in as he got older. You know, his body got older. And then I kind of peek around the corner, look through the kitchen and I see his screen doors open. I'm like, oh, boy. Right. So I walk out the screen door and then he has a huge backyard. Talk about from me to the rocking chairs out there. And all of a sudden I see his electrical cord for his tools that's connected to plugged in there. And it's winding all the way down to where I can't even see the end of it. And I'm like, oh boy, what is he doing? Like, right. And I, and I'm remembering he's 92. Okay. This is the moment. And I'm, I'm remember walking out and I get to the backyard and I finally come across the big tree and I can see him and he's got the chainsaw up and trying to cut this tree off the fence. And I'm like, I called him Tata. Tata, what are you doing? He's kind of like stumbled around a little bit with a chainsaw. And he's like cutting the tree limb down. But that's just who he was. But he would explain to me as we would sit as a young man, I would sit next to him and he would talk about his body was failing. But his soul, he could feel his soul was still like it needed somewhere to go. And he kept talking about heaven and how good heaven was going to be. And he go, oh, I can't wait till I get my new body. Right. I can't wait till I get my new body. And he was one of the first people in my life that talked about heaven that way. Like this is not our home. I can't wait to get my new body. I can't wait to experience that. And at an early age, it set the tone for me as a Christian of going, you're right. This is not our home. Our souls were made for another world. Our souls were made for heaven. And yet you and I, when we walk this earth, we know that it's full of brokenness and trials and our bodies are going to fail. Right. And, and we can experience that. And the older we get, we can just keep leaning a little further into hope because that is not our reality. When our bodies fail, we get to live forever with God. We get to live in eternity with him in heaven and we cling to that hope because it doesn't compare to the truth that you and I have. J.I. Packer is a, a theologian and he wrote six statements that he said Christians should say every day to help them out experience him. I'll put it on the screens for you here this morning. The first one is he says, I am a child of God. The second one is God is my father. If you notice, it's really I'm curious to know if he was writing this off of Romans eight, because this is how Romans eight is structured. Right. We see this and he says, God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother and or sister, too. If we remember that reality, heaven is my home. It's one day nearer every single day that we get to experience him. And there's something that happens inside of us. And so when we look at the world around us, I don't think I have to convince you that the world is broken. Right. That is full of people making horrible decisions and we see evil run in different places. And we're going, why is that? And as we read verses 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul, he talks about it. He says, um, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children. He's talking about everything that God made is looking forward to that freedom from the death and decay. For, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. And then he compares it and he says, all of creation is groaning. 
He's saying that that the when the Lord comes, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And as Christians, we have that hope. And the groaning that you and I see are is the famine all over the world. Right. There are storms that we can't control that uh, there's parts of our bodies that are going to fail and cause sickness and decay. And all of this is happening because the world is broken. That God has restored our soul, but he hasn't redeemed our bodies yet. And he's saying we have that future hope. We, As Christians, since we're in the family of God, that's the hope that we have. And it's like we wait for it with this eager expectation of what God can do and what God's going to do in these moments. Because you and I, we realize we live in a sinful and a dark world, in a broken reality that is around us. And it's almost like you and I, and as we live in this world, and we try to look out in the world and things happen to us, maybe things that we didn't even control. And it's like when that happens to us, it, it is really easy in our own sinful desire, and also uh, we have an adversary, the enemy, who wants to paint a picture of darkness and decay and isolation. And in those moments of hurt and trials and suffering, it's like we're in our room, and the Bible describes that the people that are of the world are almost, they're walking in this spiritual blindness. And so you and I, were sitting in a room, and anytime the suffering or the trials or the hurt comes, it's the enemy comes, and it's like he's painting over the windows with this black, you can't see through paint and he's painting the whole room black and he's going see you're all alone you see you're hurting and you just need to sit in your room by yourself nobody can help you nobody can save you and we feel this moment because it feels like life is closing in on us and all we can see is darkness but as Christians, what the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage the Christian church here that is living in Rome and is facing persecution, he's going, remember, you have the power to chip that pain away. You have the light of Christ not only living in you as the present reality, giving you light in that fully dark room, but not only that, you have the power to chip the pain away so that the light of the future hope and glory can shine through in that present darkness and present suffering. And then we can walk over to the window and we can see through the little chip piece of black paint and we go, oh, that's right. This is this room is not my home. Heaven is my home. And I'm looking through the lens of scripture of going, yes, this is what heaven is going to be like. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. That is my hope. That is the future hope of glory. And not only that, but we are a part of this family of Christ, right? Like I have brothers and sisters in Christ. And so not only can I chip, I have the power to do that, but we need each other, right? Because there are days when I'm sitting in my dark room in my bed and I just don't want to get up. And I have that one Christian brother or sister that comes into my room. And they're like, OK, it's time to get up. Right. And you walk over to the window and you start chipping the paint away for him and going, hey, don't you forget. This is our future hope. Don't you forget. This is where God has called us to. And we need each other to remind us of that truth, to remind us of the future hope that we have, because we get to see that glimpse that we don't have to live in this darkness. Yes, it is very real. But what the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to understand is that it just it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare to the future glory and the hope that we cling to. You and I, we have the hope of Christ dwelling in us. And the thing that is greater than fear is hope. 
right? Have you noticed when hope is very low in our life, fear begins to rise? But when hope begins to rise in our life, fear begins to decrease because we see that hope is from God and and perfect love casts out fear. So the closer we get to Jesus, the more we understand about Jesus in our life, the closer we get to him and we don't have to go, okay, what fear do I need to push out? What fear do I need to push out? No, because the perfect love, it drives the fear out. So as I get close to Jesus and I focus on the hope that I have in him, it begins to drive the fear out because now I don't have to fear this world i can only have to fear god and i live with the hope that i have and not only that you and i we are hope carriers right there used to be this uh, famous line this guy would wear a shirt and he says because he was a drug dealer and now he says he's given his life to christ he doesn't deal drugs anymore but he says now i'm a hope dealer right and he just carries his shirt i'm a hope dealer i'm dealing out hope to everybody i see and he's like anybody living in darkness here's some hope here's some hope because this is the thing that you and I have to understand is that all of this, and I'm getting, we're going to talk about the last promise here as I close. All of this happens because we're a child of God. All of this is not a reality for those outside of Christ. So what more urgency do you and I have? What more hope do you and I have that we get to walk into the darkest places on this earth and go, you know what? I have a light that can light up this room. Not only that, I have a future glory that I want to show you. Can I introduce you to Jesus? He opens up this whole new way of thinking, this whole new way of life. And now Jesus is not something that we just add to our tool belt or add to our suitcase of all the other things we believe. No, that's because this reality doesn't happen outside of Christ. And so Jesus becomes our everything and it's how we view everything in life. All of our relationships, all of our trials, all of our hurt. We view it through the lens of I'm a child of God, right? I view it through that because it it allows the hope to uh, reign free in my life. And then he kind of finishes this section up and he begins to talk about uh, this promise in Romans 8, 28. And he says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according or are called according to his purpose for them. What a promise. And he says that God will work everything out for the good of those who love him. You notice he brings that back in full circle. He says God's going to work everything out for the people who are in the family of God. And he says, we can trust God with our past hurts, struggles, suffering, because God will somehow, some way reconcile and redeem all of those aspects in our life. We may not see it on this side of heaven, how he does all of that, right? But we can fully trust because this is a promise that God gives us. And the promise, if you're taking notes, is that God promises to work all things out for the good of those who belong to him. So you and I, this brings rest and peace, doesn't it? If we fully believe and cling to this, that everything in my life, all of the suffering, the hurt and the pain, I don't understand how he's going to do it, but I can rest in the fact that he will do it. He will work it out somehow. And not only that, will he begin to heal and work on me, but then he's going to use it so that I can now help other people. 
Right? I can walk into other people's darkness and I can chip away the paint for them to go, look, I've, I've walked through that. And this is how God got me through it. This is the hope. You still have hope. You still have hope in Christ because he's going to work all of these things out for the good of those who love him. And that, those are the promises that you and I cling to. This changes things, right? This changes things for Christians and how we live our lives. That we have the hope of heaven. We are hope dealers. We have the hope of Christ living in us. And so whatever situation we face, we cling to these. And just like if, um, if you were trapped in the middle of a storm and, and you weren't sure what to do, the best thing that you and I can do is cling to something that is firm, right? The song we just sang, the firm foundation. I'm standing on the firm foundation when the winds are blowing. I'm not the one that is stable. It's the firm foundation that I'm clinging to. And so when the trials and the hurt come, Paul brings these promises back up. And he says, hey, don't forget these. Don't forget, don't forget, because when you're in the middle of it and the, right, the storm, the wind's going like this, I can't see two feet in front of me. But what I can see is the promise that I'm holding close. He's going, hey, don't forget that promise. Yet what you're suffering now does not compare to the future glory, right? And he says, don't remember, you're a child of God. You have the hope of Christ dwelling in you. And then he says, God's going to work this out. For the good of those. God's going to work it out. God's going to allow that to begin to happen in us. And we cling to that promise. And it allows us to experience this hope. That we can't experience outside of Christ. And he's saying this is the Christian life. This is what separates our life from every other religion. Every other uh, person that we may uh, lean in and begin to ask and talk to. Because this is what Jesus offers the Christian life. This is what he shows us. And then he, he closes here, and I'm going to close with this. He uses three different things here in this progression in verse 30. And he says, having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What an amazing progression for you and I to remember uh, in our life every single day that we were chosen by God. So he first pursued us. We weren't out pursuing God. No, he chased us down and he sent his one and only son to down the cross from us. The Bible also describes that the Holy Spirit begins to tug on our hearts and pull us closer to God. And then he made us right with God. He made us righteous. He justified us. And then he attaches something else here. And he talks about we receive the glory of God because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. He will restore us in heaven. And we have this future glory. The Bible describes it as glorification, that we are saved, we're redeemed. And then we have this hopeful expectation that not only us, but our whole world, a new heaven and new earth is going to be fully restored in Christ. And so he will restore us. In heaven, that is the promises that you and I cling to. It changes everything. And so as I close the message here today, uh, two things that I would love for us to lean on and, and to begin to talk about. One is, is which one of these three promises do you feel like you need to grab onto today? It, it could be the first one. It's when suffering hits, this is not my home. I need to be reminded, this is not my home. This is not my home. I'm, I'm kind of passing through in this moment, right? And God begins to work on that in and through me. And then when trials come, we point with eager hope for what is to come. 
that I can still have hope when trials come because I, I know that God's going to work. And or is it the promise of going, I need to rest in the fact that God's going to work this out. I don't know how. I don't know when. But his promise is that he will work it out. And the Apostle Paul uses that kind of strong language because he knows it's a promise from God. And that's a promise for the Christian. And we may still be sitting in the hurt and the grief and the pain, but yet we hold on to that promise of going, I can still have hope. God's still going to work this out in me. God's still going to work out this in my family. God's going to work out this in our area, in the low country. However, I'm not sure how, but God's going to continue to work on that in and through me. And the second thing is, is that we've talked about it all throughout the message, but this is the present reality for those who are in Christ. And so I would invite any person who's never given their life to Jesus, who's never been adopted into the family of God, to make that decision today. Because this is not a sales pitch, this is the truth, right? And, and the, the truth is what you and I lean into. When we lean into it, all of this happens because of Jesus. Because we have a relationship with Him. Because we've surrendered our lives to Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes all of this possible in us and through us. And so outside of Jesus, these aren't true for us. But in Christ, we live in this and we cling to it. And that's why Christians can have this eager hope for the future day that is coming. And so I just want to pray for us. I'm going to do a twofold prayer. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to pray for you here this morning uh, for you to surrender your life and uh, and to move into the family of God here today. This morning, I believe it's the greatest decision you'd ever make in your life. And then also, I just want to pray for us as a church that God would strengthen us during these times of trials and and heartache. And so uh, but if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to surrender to him today, I would encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Um, and it goes something like this. Dear Heavenly Father. God, I know that I am separated from you. God, I know that I've missed the mark and I'm living a life in sin. God, I, I believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that on the third day you rose again. And God, I ask that you would save me and continue to change me, God. And if you prayed that prayer here this morning, I'd love for you to fill out one of those connect cards. We'd love to pray with you and connect with you in the back and help you walk this Christian life. But it's an incredible moment that God has for us. Let's pray together as a church. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. That today is a gift. God, I pray for any person that's in this room or maybe can hear the sound of my voice that's walking through suffering, grief, hurt. God, that's walking through maybe some unforgiveness or things that have happened in their past. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you will feed hope, that you'll breathe life into their situation. And God, as Christians, we're not promised an easy life, but we're promised it'll be worth it. God, I pray that we will cling to the promises that you have for us, that you will help us to have hope when it seems like all hope is lost, God. God, we know that this life and this world is broken, but you are not. You hold us strongly in your hand, God, and help us to remember that fact every single day that we are saved, we are a child of God, that you will work all of this out for your glory and that you give us hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let's stand and worship together.